0: I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Thought we would jump on real quick and uh, give a little bit of our thoughts and opinions and maybe some stories with the passing of former head coach, Jim Lambright, yesterday. um, Kind of, uh, these things are never easy to hear. They always take you by surprise, but maybe this one, not so much. Um, It's been a long road with jim um i think that uh after he was let go um as the head coach he's been kind of um i don't know what the best way to describe him would be but uh um, he's definitely had some medical issues and some issues with dementia that have really had an impact and chris you know we've seen him come out to fall and spring camps quite a bit but uh even though he wasn't the head coach he was still involved he was still a hundred percent purple and gold guy
1: well, yeah, I think the the one of the sentiments on the board when news of his passing came yesterday Sunday was that he may be considered the all time Husky, you know, the greatest Husky, and I and I think it's hard to argue against that. You know, he played or coached in three hundred and eighty six some games. Um, you know, coached and was a head coach of seventy games. Uh, took over the program and very uh, in in very kind of scary circumstances with the resignation of Don James and the, the bowl band from the pac 12 and all the stuff that was going on at that time. And they needed someone to come in and steady the ship. And you could just tell, and, and, and it's to a certain extent, it's a little bit like Keith Gilbertson doing the same thing after Rick Neuheisel. But, but yeah. you know, um, there was never going to be a question if Jim Lambright was going to take over that program because he would have done anything for the program and, and would always do anything for the program. He was the quintessential Husky and it's really hard to ignore that and, and deny that. Right.
0: Scott, you've seen Jim Lambright hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of time. A big guy. He doesn't look like a defensive end.
2: No, not at all. I mean, he's, I'm only about five, nine and a half, five ten, whatever I am. And, I he's shorter much shorter than I am I bet he was probably five six five seven at the most and uh, not a big guy uh, had that big voice though and uh, I remember at Dick Baird's was it the 60th uh, birthday celebration that they did at the Duchess and and Lambright was there and Entman and DeMarco Farr and a bunch of the other guys uh, were were there, kind of crowded around him and, and just talking. And He was cold in court there, and the guys just loved it. And I got a chance to spend some time just listening to him and talking to him about what he would do with different defenses and all this different stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun, and he was always a, a really great guy to talk with. I, I'm sorry to hear about his passing, but uh, with some of the stuff that was going on with his dementia and everything like that, it's... It, it isn't surprising,
0: like you said, Kim. He was the head coach when we started dogman.com back in 1997, and I'm telling you, and I put this out on the board, he could just look at you and scare the crap out of you. He could also look at you and make you feel warm and welcome and invited. He had the most piercing blue eyes I have ever seen. You know, A lot of people talk about Paul Newman's eyes, uh, Jim Lambright uh, is right up on there. And Probably the best quote I saw uh, from a former player. I saw it earlier this morning. It said that uh, we've all heard the expression of those guys that wear their heart on their sleeve. Jim Lambright wears his heart on his face because you could really tell with Jim because there was no hiding whether he was happy or just in coaching mode. But uh, you know, Chris, when we you you you've been around him. I mean, when he was the head coach. I mean. He, he was the boss. I mean, he had an aura, an atmosphere around him um, that was pretty intense.
1: Yeah, it was easy to see. And and I got a chance to see it a little bit in terms of practices and whatnot. Um, I didn't really get a chance to interact with him when he was the head coach. But he was ever-present, you know, when, when Neuheisel took over and then Gilby took over, obviously he was – uh, you know, he wasn't like involved in the front office type stuff, but he was certainly at all the practices at that time. Um, you know, was certainly uh, very helpful to us. Like I can remember, you know, it, and a lot like Coach Baird as well. I mean, they were very happy to give their thoughts to us and and be as helpful to us as they could possibly be. But at the same time, you you could tell. When they were frustrated, when they were upset, when things weren't going the right way, um, the watching kind of the fan in them was was really interesting because you could tell that it's just it's so close to their hearts. And as far as its Coach Lambright, you know he he was the ultimate cheerleader for Washington, um, even when um, even when things weren't going their way and and whatnot during the like two thousand five and, and Willingham and two thousand eight and all that. He was still always there. I mean, even when, you know, he got let go by Barbara Hedges and all of that in ninety eight was not treated probably as well as he should have been in hindsight, clearly, um, he never let that impact his commitment and his loyalty and his love for the program and for the university.
0: When we first started this, Jim was the head coach and um coming on Um, The media scene back then, when the Internet was just starting in in its infancy, he didn't know what to think of us. But uh, he was always cordial and uh, polite. Just a couple of really short, quick stories with Jim when we were doing it. Um, Practice was open to the media back then. Uh, I mean, all the practices were open, but technically you needed what was called a practice pass. And you'd enter through the tunnel. And they had a guy. Larry the gatekeeper, and uh, Larry um, Larry had some issues. I'll just say that. Larry had some issues, um, and I'll never, ever forget. Bruce King, you know, for the old-timers, Bruce King walking down the tunnel, and Larry wouldn't let him in. And in the middle of a defensive drill, Larry decides – walk out onto the practice field and catch coach Lambright. And then he started pointing at Bruce King. And I just remember Lambright going, God damn it, Larry, Bruce King wants to come to practice. He doesn't need a goddamn press pass. He just lit him up and it was just so crazy to watch. And I was kind of standing over near there and I was hoping he wasn't pointing at me, but, uh, Jim was all business when he was on the field, but uh, probably my <clears throat> best memory of Jim was uh, the leap at the late game, the Arizona game, where Washington lost that at the end. Um, and uh, post game press <laughs> meeting, uh, I thought Jim was going to pop a vein. He pretty much just walked in, had that stern look on his face, which would scare the hell out of anybody, and said, "Any questions?" It was about a two-second lapse of dead silence, and he said, good, and just walked off, and everybody just sat there looking at each other. But, uh, yeah, nobody was going to mess with Jim Jim Lambright after that game, Chris.
1: Yeah, I don't know, Scott, if you were at that game or not. I was at that game. Um, I had come up from Walla Wall at the time because I was still living uh, down there, and I had come up for it, and I was with a friend, and we were taking the bus back up. Uh, 23rd up into the Central District and I remember just kind of solemnly you know walking from Husky Stadium to the bus stop and waiting kind of with the hordes and I mean you literally I mean you, you could hear a pin drop I mean there was just there was just no explanation for what happened that night and I remember the play as it was like it was yesterday it was just I remember going through just about every emotion a fan could go through at that time, in terms of okay, they're going to stop him, we're going to win the game. To he's midair, what the hell is going to happen? To all of a sudden they score, game over. And um, you know, arguably the one play that I've seen in Husky uh, Stadium where I went through the most emotions, in in just in terms of real time what was going on. So yeah, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be the head coach of that team at that time watching that play unfold, especially just kind of how the way the game had gone in general and just kind of how back and forth it had been.
2: Yeah, I wasn't at that game. Um, I actually was lucky enough to be at the Cal game. Uh, What was it, Cal 94 or 95, whatever it was, where uh, they got the onside kick. By the way, we need to promote Chris's article on the 10 biggest wins in Lambright history. That was great, just kind of going down – memory lane and everything but whatever where Scott Greenlaw gets the onside kick and they go in for the touchdown down there I had a friend going to school at Cal Maritime Academy down there and he and a bunch of his buddies and uh, myself um, I went down to visit him and I was down there for that game and they happened to have tickets so we went over and I remember just standing there we were ready to leave and uh, I remember just standing there going "Uh, what just happened how did we win this game? So, um, that's my one memory of, of a win in, um, in Lambright's tenure where I was there and it just really sticks out to me. But I mean, the biggest win is, is the one down in Miami.
0: What was really difficult with Jim was, um, with Don James resignation. Um, I don't know if, um, again, I'm searching for the right words to use, but Jim being named the head coach at the I don't know if it was a recommendation or demand of Don James, but, uh, Jim was kind of inherited by Barbara Hedges, and that relationship was rocky at best. And it just always seemed that Jim Lambright and Barbara Hedges were butting heads. Um Jim taking at, over after legendary coach Don James wanting to create his own identity as a coach. And many of you remember remember when they went to the purple helmets um that uh caused some issues and the purple helmets was something back when jim was played outstanding players or you know if you reach certain goals you got a purple helmet but uh there was a lot of things that barbara hedges and jim lambright butted heads over and some of the old timers i don't know if i want to put the stories out there because i got them secondhand. but if you old timers out there on the boards want to put some of those out there was some pretty legendary um you know uh Battles uh, with Miss Hedges. Um so um we I think we all Chris, when you started, was he the head coach or was it New I
1: I actually remember the day that Rick Newheisel or the night that Rick Newheisel was hired, I was at the Green Lantern Tavern in Walla Walla. So I had I had been done doing some work for you guys a little bit, but I did not get a chance to actually uh talk to Jim when he was the head coach at that time. But I will say when it comes to the the battles that he would have had with Hedges, very much old school, new school type of thing. You know, I mean, Barbara Hedges broke a lot of glass ceilings, whether it was at USC or Washington. And we know Lambright from, you know, playing under Jim Owens, Guy Flaherty Award winner, three year letterman, all coast defensive end. Like like Scott said, a guy that you look at him, there's just no way that guy was a defensive lineman. But you can tell just by talking to him, the scrap and the determination and the toughness. Um, yeah, I could see where they would clash heads. I mean, I could see where there would be uh, some budding of some heads. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me in the least.
0: You mean when Barbara would bring all of her friends down on the sidelines and want pictures? Taken and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, we won't go there. But uh, you know, when you Chris and Scott, you both have seen out on social media on Facebook and on Twitter, just the comments from the former players, and you've also seen it at practice. If there's any former players, and Jim Lambright is there, just uh, the love that they have for that guy.
1: Yeah, I just yeah. It, I, to me, it was just a uh, yeah. Sorry, Scott. I just to me. It all goes back to when I was growing up um, and watching Don James, and and yeah, I mean he was clearly the the ringleader. He was he was the 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 guy running the circus and 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 keeping everyone in check and and keeping everyone in line and and making it all happen. But behind the scenes, you know, before I had ever heard of a Norm Chow or a Mike Leach or any of these kind of you know X's and O's geniuses. Jim Lambright was doing that. He was the defensive, to me, the defensive equivalent of like a Norm Chow. And, you know, no better example of that than in the mid-80s when, you know, James and and, and Lambright realized that they needed to, to get quicker, faster uh, to create a more aggressive type defense. And then obviously they made that change when it was either 88 or 89, I think it was 87-88 in the Oregon State game where they completely changed the defense into kind of that that 52 front or whatever that whatever you were whatever they would call it they they just turned it into something that was more aggressive than anybody had ever seen and um, to me what he was able to do in terms of defense I, I don't know how you guys feel about it but for all of the offensive players that have come through the ranks and and the the guys that have turned into great pros, whether it was a Warren Moon or a Corey Dillon or what have you, um, to me, Washington's always been defined in my era that I grew up with by defense, and that was all Jim Lambright. I mean, it was a hundred percent Jim Lambright.
0: Well, I think you know, what's really interesting about that, Chris, is when you take a look at the defenses he had, and you take a look at all the badasses that he had on defense that were just amazing college players a lot of them went on to the nfl you think about that group of players all of the best players and the toughest guy on the field it was his own jim lambright was the tough guy um you know and when you have your head coach is the biggest badass there like when you're a defensive coordinator and your position coach you know, he set the tone. He really set the tone. And you know, when you take a look at it, you know, we've said this before when covering recruiting. Coaches like to recruit guys that are like themselves. And stop and think about a lot of those guys that Jim Lambright recruited come in weren't big names out of high school, but boy, they were a lot like Jim Lambright.
2: Well, I, I I've read some of the players that said. I mean, Mario Bailey even said he was Coach Lambright was the one who recruited him uh, up to the University of Washington. So. Um, just really impressed with the amount of reach he had with, with kids on the recruiting front. And, uh, Walter Bailey wrote a real heartfelt, uh, I don't know how many words that looked like. It was about a 500 word, uh, thing that he wrote out on, uh, where was that? It was that on uh,
1: Twitter? I think that it was,
2: on, that his was Facebook what, page. on his Facebook page. Okay. So, uh, yeah, cause I don't think he could have done that on, on Twitter, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you can see the outpouring of love, um, James Clifford. Uh, Dave Hoffman, all those guys just they loved him and and they all reflected his personality, Don James's personality a little bit. But Jim Lambright's personality was really big on that. I I just wonder what um, had he um, still been alive, uh, Jaime Fields would have said, uh, you know, if he had if he had been around to, to say to say something about this, because Jaime Fields was a guy who actually really embodied. Jim Lambright to me because Jaime Fields was not an ideal uh, body type for the position he played but he just got the most out of it was aggressive and and played angry and all that kind of stuff and man I I just you know you, you don't realize the impact these coaches have on On These players until the players become adults and guys who would be the ones coaching the players at the same age and and they realize the kind of impact these coaches have had on their lives and the outpouring of love just shows you how much this man really meant uh, to these players throughout their lives, a very important part of their life in their late teens, early 20s, but also into their future and how they lived their lives.
0: 20, 30 years ago is when a lot of these guys played for Jim Lambright. And I can say pretty confidently, all of those guys have played for Jim Lambright. To this day, they'd still kill for Jim Lambright. They would kill for Jim Lambright. That's how much they uh, admired him. So um, really tough um, with, uh, with his passing and I'm sure with the upcoming football season. And yes, there will be an upcoming football season. But um, I'm sure that there will be a nice tribute to Jim along the way. um and um it's been kind of um hard the last couple of years with jim because we've known him for so long and known what he stands for and known what he's about and this um evil disease of dementia or alzheimer's i'm not sure which one or if there is a difference but um you know uh, there would be moments where the old jim would come back but um he was just a kind, kind man this last few years. And it was really both to see him struggle with this and uh, a lot of concerns. And, um, you know, he'd come out to practice and I would always be concerned. How did he get here? Well, he drove and which was kind of scary, but, um, yeah, it's been really, really tough to see Jim the past couple of years. I've had several conversations with him, but, uh, a better place right now. And like, and a lot of his former players were putting out on social media, say hi to DJ for me. But uh, he's obviously in a better place, both of you guys. He's just in a better place than what I've seen him in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, I I, I would agree. And, and going back to kind of his reach in terms of the program, I mean, I saw tributes going all the way back, back to players like Don Makita all the way up to Marcus Tuiasosopo. I mean, that's spanning... 30 plus years maybe going on 40 years so you know this is a guy that everybody if you understood what UW football was all about you understood Jim Lambright and you understood his toughness his character his ability to change a game defensively um, the legacy that he leaves defensively Um, I know we all talk about Jimmy Lake right now and the anticipation for what the defense is going to do this fall and the, and the progression of the you know quote unquote death row and all that. But, you know, when you go back and look at purple rain, for instance, that's all defense. I mean, that all those guys, we, you know, you, you talk about going back to the, to the greatest teams like the 91 team with Entman and Hoffman and, and, you know, Jaime Fields and Chico Fraley and that secondary, um, You know, there's a lot of great offensive players on that team, no doubt. We talked about Mario Bailey. You look at Billy Joe Hobart. You look at guys like, uh, you know, Bino Bryant and then later, uh, you know, Napoleon Kaufman. But really, what do people remember from that 91 team? It's that defense. I mean, and and it was something absolutely special. And it it was all Jim Lambright. And I think that's the toughest part about his passing, Kim and, and Scott. To me is that it really kind of not so much closes a chapter of of that era but it really does it, it, it there's very little left now. I mean there's there's the players obviously and there's a few coaches out there like coach Baird for instance but it it's just it feels like with with Lambright gone now obviously with with DJ before him um it does feel like that part of Washington football is is not getting lost but it's we're starting to move past it a little bit and i know there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be clearly sad about that
0: and just real quick scott before you do that um and for those youngins who weren't around for that time frame check out jeff bechtold on twitter and he put a link up there to the highlights from the usc game um from back all, in all the i day. saw was You'll purple yeah yeah, you'll get an idea of that defense. So, uh, you youngins who don't know what we're talking about, go check out Jeff Becktold's Twitter and uh, click on those uh, highlights, and uh, that'll give you a good idea. But go ahead, Scott.
2: Yeah, and so I've already kind of shared how at uh, Coach Baird's 60th birthday party at the Duchess, how I saw him and but real interactions with him that I had were um, my wife after I after she and I had just gotten married, uh, we went out and saw um charlie wilson's war and i remember sitting sitting down watching the movie when i got up coach lambright was right there and he actually recognized me um and said don't you write for dogman and i said yeah and and he goes jim lambright and i said yeah I've, you know, met you a few times and wasn't surprised he didn't remember me because I was nothing, you know, at that point. And, and, uh, he, he and I just talked and his his wife and my wife walked out in front of us and we walked out together and we just talked a little bit about stuff. And, and he's, because of his age, he remembers the whole thing going on with the, with that during that time frame Charlie Wilson's war was about the cold war and, and, and how, uh, the U S helped defeat, The Soviets in in Afghanistan, and so he and I just talked about that, and we hardly even talked football on the way out. And then the other one was he was at a Woodenville Bothel game, and I think his was his granddaughter uh, cheer. I think she was a cheerleader Woodenville. I I could be wrong. It might have been the Bothel side, whatever side it was. He was there, and I said, "Oh, what are you doing here? Scouting players?" And and he goes, "No, that that's way behind me. I'm just here to watch my granddaughter and and uh, enjoy some football and and stuff." and he and I talked for about 10, 15 minutes and and then uh, wished me luck. So really warm guy, um, always was willing to, to, uh, to, you know, warm off the field. I think on the field I would have been very intimidated by him, but I never was – intimidated in talking to him because he was always willing to to talk to you and 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 had a warmer personality than you would expect from a guy who was who was the steel steely-eyed coach that he was so uh those are my two real interactions with coach uh lambright that that i had off the field
0: he could like i said you know those eyes did, did, did you ever get the evil eye from Lambright? um Not, Chris
2: the, well Kim actually the only time I ever got it was I showed up late to a press conference and he gave me a look of and it was when I was a uh, intern at Cairo um and I showed up late because they sent me to the thing late and I showed up and he just glared at me as I came in because the door made noise so that was my that
0: was <laughs> my one did you ever get it Chris
1: uh luckily enough, I don't think I ever really remember incurring the wrath of of Lambeau. Um I I just remember the interactions in terms of, you know, being at practice and you could just tell, you know, as much as he knew he was a fan and a supporter of the program, you could tell he he had his coach's hat hat on just kind of to the side. Like you could tell he was he didn't want to be bugged. He was he was watching it. Yeah, he would he would shake hands when the fans would come up and talk, and he would be cordial, but you could tell he, he had at least one eye focused right on that defense, trying to figure out what was going on. And I remember, you know, going up to him a, more than a few times and getting his thoughts during fall camp uh, because I knew fans would would just be you know l- you know licking it up. I mean, they they would want to hear. Everything that he would have to say about what was going on with this current group, especially on defense. And so, I, to me, that was gold because I knew people would, would get into it and really understand it and appreciate where he was coming from because of his obviously, because of his knowledge and, and vast experience about what was going on over there. So, to me, I'll just always remember real fondly those, those conversations because he was super gracious with his time. And was always really helpful. Never said no. If I, you know, I tried to keep it as short as I could, but he was always great about it. And those are the things that I'm always going to remember about Jim.
0: He was a legend. And uh, I'm sure he'll be honored um, this fall for football season. And hopefully they do something permanently up there, up, uh, up at UW. But his name will always be on that national championship trophy. Sad day. Big loss for University of Washington football, University of Washington athletics for his family, um... He was just different. Um, He was just a different guy. Before we wrap this up, just go around um, the table here real quick. Scott, anything on recruiting that we need to update?
2: Well, uh, there's a report out there that uh, some schools are violating the recruiting uh, edict by the NCAA that they don't go out and see kids and and recruit them. It sounds like some schools aren't doing that, and... um, so I'm kind of looking into it, seeing what I can dig up on on anything that we've heard or anything like that, and uh, um, we'll get back on that. But otherwise, you know, I put up a, a blog t- uh, this morning, and um, just, you know, Washington's continuing to recruit these guys and and work hard, and I but I don't think you're going to see a lot of movement, at least on Washington's front, as far as commits, probably until May or June when things maybe open up again, so... Uh, right now we're just covering and, and letting you guys know who they're after.
0: Chris, anything you need to update people on?
1: Uh, just a couple things. Um, first of all, for anybody that wants to uh, you know honor Coach Lambright in some way, I know the family had asked for um, you know any money or anything like that if you want to send it to UW Medical Center or anything involved with what's going on with the coronavirus, whether it's first responders or what have you, um, please to to donate to a local charity in that regard. and um, Obviously, they would really appreciate that. I think secondly, when it comes to the things that Scott just talked about with recruiting, um, we will get a chance to actually talk to Jimmy Lake on Tuesday. So I know that will probably be brought up. Hopefully, he'll give us his thoughts on that. We'll see. Um, but this will be the first time that the the full media will be able to get a chance to talk to Jimmy since all this stuff went down. So it's going to be an interesting call, find out what's going on a little bit more with the program, and then hopefully we'll be able to talk to the coordinators and things like that a little bit further down the road. Obviously we don't have any details on that yet, but obviously that would be a hope that the media would have that we could talk to more than just the head coach at this point because I know the fans have a lot of questions and uh, the media does too.
0: A couple of quick updates. Um, Last week, uh, the basketball team got a transfer in Eric Stevenson. He's from Timberline High School down in Lacey. Big pickup for Coach Mike Hopkins. We'll see if he's eligible for next year with the coronavirus. And boy, I don't know what's going on back at uh, Wichita State, but they had seven guys leave the team. Seven Stop and think about. It. I mean, that's over fifty percent of your team left. So um, the only thing I've heard on that was uh, coach back there, Coach Greg Marshall, is not the easiest guy to play for, and not a lot of fun. So had a chance to talk to Eric last week. I liked talking to him. Uh, unfortunately, his decision got leaked out there before he had a chance. And uh, when I asked him how his family felt about. Uh, him making the decision at that point in time he said they didn't even know unless they read it online i haven't had a chance to tell him but um he could be a big piece of the puzzle next year for mike hopkins and uh, the basketball program um also in addition to the staff uh up at university of washington jason uh i don't know how to pronounce it is it buddha Budakofer. But- but- um he was the second in command back at uh, purdue and um, Washington has brought him on as, um, what do they call him, chief, chief operating officer for University of Washington Athletics. What does that mean? I think that means he's going to be working alongside Carter Henderson. And one of the things that uh, I had a chance to talk to Jen Cohen briefly, that she's been caught up in so much other stuff that she really hasn't had the time to focus on what her passion really is and what she needs to be focusing on, which is basketball and football. So uh, bringing Jason in is going to help the marketing team and just help with a lot of the other sports and take that off of Jen's plate. And so she can focus on the big ticket items. And uh, I kind of thought to myself, okay, that's going to that's like Jen Cohen unleashed on basketball and football. So um, that'll be interesting. heard nothing great, but great things about Jason. uh, Pretty much what I've been told. From numerous people as he was pretty much running the show back at purdue so it's a big get um should help uh, university of washington tremendously so um look forward to working with jason and you'll probably start to see more and more of his name out there and um also just want to um thank all of our subscribers out there this um is kind of a difficult time there's not a lot going out there but there always seems to be a lot going on out there we will continue to do our jobs. We will continue to press. We will continue to provide content. We'll turn over rocks. We'll do whatever it takes. We just appreciate the support for you guys. Uh, our numbers um, have uh, I've remained pretty consistent. I mean, we're not losing subscribers at all. So you guys are re- incredibly loyal to us and have been for numbers of years. So I don't think um, – there's a something I learned a long time ago or something I read thoughts can only take a, uh, words can only take a thought so far. And, uh, I'm not sure. Thank you. Uh, quite does it. You guys have been awesome and amazing. So, um, what's on your plate right now, Scott, anything going on?
2: Um, just get reaching out to a bunch of kids. We're trying trying to find out uh, what a lot of these recruits, um, most of them are all signees are guys who have committed and, um, just find out what they've been doing they've been up to you know a lot of them have been uh, streaming some interesting tv and movies tv shows and movies so um and then i have been asking about workouts what they're doing since they can't go to gyms and things like that so um hopefully i'll have that up uh tomorrow at some point if not tomorrow then wednesday at the latest and uh just working on some other features that i that i uh, hope people are
0: interested in what's on your plate chris
1: well since the draft has not been necessarily canceled yet <laughs> i'm not What's really going sure on, if it would by be the way. yeah i mean, it, it it surely certainly feels like it is even if they're going to do the social distancing and all that stuff which is good um, I'll have some draft stuff out there we'll have some uh you know kind of following the mocks in terms of the washington players uh, i've got a couple features on some of the guys that are uh, that are going to be obviously involved in the draft so uh, we've got that coming up and then transitioning a little bit over into hoops we've got the draft stuff for the mocks and all that as far as Jaden mcdaniels and isaiah stewart so we'll see first of all they got to make their decisions public so once they do that then we can kind of go from there um, so th- those are things that we're working on and then obviously finishing up some of these spring previews which i know seems kind of counterintuitive or nonsensical at this point but we started with it. Scott and I kind of, you know, we divvied them up, and, and we're going to plow through them, and 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 give give our best thoughts on that kind of stuff. And then we we may also do some other kind of lists in terms of maybe looking a little bit more toward the summer and fall, and uh, maybe some breakout guys, and and uh, you know maybe how we can envision. Uh, Things with the new offensive coordinator John Donovan, for instance, and like I said, hopefully we get a chance to talk to him soon. That would be a huge thing. So there's still some things definitely going on. Hey Chris, Uh, just
2: real real quick, aren't you uh, working on something that uh, we had some technical help with on
1: uh, voting and things like that? Well, I didn't really want to unveil it yet, but because we haven't really talked about how we're gonna how the timing of the thing, but we have a, a, a little project that we're putting together. With uh, with uh, with our you know our secret weapon, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see how that comes out. But uh, Tr- I, trust
2: me, you guys are going to dig it. Yeah, this it happens, this should be an interesting be
1: thing, and um, you know it it does again with the passing of Coach Lambright. It, it, it is something that I think hopefully people will appreciate because it's something that is going to span a number of decades. So it should be fun.
0: Also, just uh, a couple final notes, Uh, burning up the phones a lot and had a chance to talk to my very, very, very well connected NFL guy yesterday and was asking him about Jacob Eason. You know, where's Jacob going to go in the draft? And uh, he says it's kind of funny. He says, you know, we've seen this before. He says this quarterback at Utah State, Jordan Love, seems to be the hot ticket and uh, Jacob Eason not going in the mock drafts in a lot of places. He says there's always a lot of misinformation by agents and general managers out there trying to hide guys and stuff. So um, he says he's generally heard positive things on Jacob Eason. He says he could go in the top 15. He could slide to the second round. Um and uh, he told me what's more important for Jacob Eason is not so much what round he's picked in or what slot he's picked in, but going to the best situation uh, Word is that Indianapolis loves him, but Indianapolis does not have a first round draft pick because they traded it for Eric Armstead. And then they also signed Philip Rivers. And uh, so their first draft pick is in the second round and they'd have a tough time taking a quarterback that high because, they're in win-now win, uh, mode. So uh, keep an eye on Jacob Eason. And uh, one little thing to keep an eye on, I'm sure you guys saw. Did you guys see the um, a video last week of Justin Herbert flat-footed throw 62 yards?
1: Yes, I did. No, I, I didn't. But real quick, Kim, it wasn't Armstead. Yeah. It was DeForest Buckner. The, the DeForest
0: Buckner. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But did you see the video of I, uh, Herbert with no. 62 yards flat-footed? All right i expect one out from Jacob Eason very shortly. That's all whole.
2: Well, say. it
0: won't be a
1: 62-yarder. <laughs> no. no. Let's put it this way. I remember when we went – I think it maybe was the very, very first kind of quote-unquote May Madness that Tracy Ford and Ford Sports put out when – I think that was Eason's senior year, uh, right when he was about to graduate. I want to say – now, it wasn't a flat-footed throw – but, you know, he was throwing 60 plus yards back when he was 17, 16. No,
2: that, well, they had, they actually kind of had a run up, too. They had about a five yard run up. Well, yeah, up that's why like I said did. it
1: wasn't a flat footed throw. But, I mean, yeah. he was throwing, he was throwing easily that far when he
0: was in high school. Look forward to the flat footed throw video from Jacob Eason coming <laughs> shortly. So, anyways, uh, again, thanks for all the subscribers. We really appreciate all you guys. Uh, we're just going to, on grind and i've got a lot more phone calls yet to make today and hopefully have something cool for you guys coming up very very shortly so for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim greynolds with chris fetters and scott ecklund go dogs